0: Let's get into the word of God for today. Yes. Yes. Ooh, it's gonna be something. It's something. Something amazing, I guess. This is week 21 of 52 weeks. Okay, we are almost, Have we have 31 weeks left in this year. 31 weeks left of reformation to be reformed. Our focus this year is on being reformed in the things of God. And it's true. It's true. Sometimes we need it. Sometimes we just need it. We look up and be like, this, my insides, this this can't be right. We can look internally and say this can't be right. Then we can look outside of ourselves and say this just can't be right. And uh, the Lord always calls for us to be reformed, to come back and to be uh, reshaped. You know, there's tons of scriptural examples on these things, uh, especially I love the one about the potter's house. You know, it always talks about how you've been marred in the potter's hand somehow. Some flippity flip has happened in you, and now you got a bubble in your clay. And he, you he know, he, he rather than just destroy you, you rather than just throw you Thank in the you trash, <laughs> you know. I t- He'll say, let's just re-soften you a little bit, you know. You yeah, add a little water to your situation and, and, and let's go back and try to remold. And the issue is that you may not even know that you're marred in comparison to other people. The one that determines you're marred is the father who created you. Because he had an image of what you were supposed to be in mind. Yes. You're like, but I look like a good cup, but he didn't want you to be a cup. He <laughs> Turned out to be a nice bowl. That's, that's not what he was going for is the bowl look that wasn't. You know, and then sometimes we'll make do. Yeah. Well, this this, this this is all right. It's not the best, but, right? Yeah. And if you serve a perfect God, then you can imagine that a perfect God wants perfection. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Uh-oh. Come on>. <laughs> <laughs> he wants perfection. The scriptures call call for us to be perfected. Yes. We be like, well, what does that mean? Maturity. <laughs> yes, 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 we can say because it makes us feel better, that it means maturity. Like, he doesn't really mean perfection, like, perfect without blemish. Oh, but he does. But he does not expect you to obtain that on your own. He gives it to you through the death and resurrection of his son. And that is a beautiful thing, All right? So let's look today in our um, 21st week of this year on being reformed through, last week we looked at being reformed through, <laughs> I did that on purpose. <laughs> last week we looked at being reformed through perseverance, yes, being reformed through perseverance and how perseverance um, is, is a, a byproduct of faith or faith is a byproduct of pers- perseverance. That what we say we believe is tested and that that testing actually produces the faith because it goes from being persistent about desires to being faithful and, and and persevering through something that God gave you. And so there's there's always a, a point in a believer's life and many points throughout your life where you're trying to determine, do I need to keep being persistent? And that could be negative, where you keep trying the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah. Or you could say, if I continue to stay persistent, I just might get you know, the thing that I'm looking for. And every believer has come to those positions in their lives where you can't determine if I should stay persistent or is this God trying to tell me I need to do something else? Yes. And it's within that testing, as we discussed on last week, that perseverance, when it shows up, and perseverance says it's more concerned with the outcome and not necessarily the action. When perseverance shows up, then if you continue in that, then you can say that that thing that you believe came from God. The aspect of your belief came from God. The mechanism of how you, why you hold on to this is beyond personal desires and has shifted to something that God has actually given you to want and to persevere through. Uh, Last week we discussed that persistence focuses on the action. Persistence says I will keep trying the same thing over and over and over and over again. The persistent widow, I'm gonna keep trying and asking and asking and asking and asking. Whereas perseverance says it does not matter the action. We can look for all kinds of ways to get to this goal, but we have to get to this goal. And that is imperative. So if you weren't here last week, I encourage that you listen to it. We gained so much from it on last week. This week, I want to look at something that's a little similar um, in in its direction, Um, off the top, okay? But it's, it's Reformation through faithfulness. Reformation through faithfulness. Now, there are many connotations of the word faithfulness. Many of them that we could say, you know, really challenge our hearts and minds. But if I had to break down the word faithfulness into uh, five characteristics or types that we can see it revealed in God, I would say that faithfulness is uh, loyalty, it's being trustworthy, it's being steadfast in love, it's being patient, and it's being committed. I'll do that list again just for your own benefit of your own notes. To be faithful can be broken down into five different types or characteristics. All have have been shown and reflect the nature and character of God. God is loyal. God is trustworthy. God is steadfast in his love. God is patient. And God is committed. Very true of him. So if we're gonna have an example of what faithfulness is, the most precise and perfect example would be God, Mm -hmm. right? Who encompasses all five of these characteristics of faithfulness. Um, So the one I wanna really use out of these characteristics, out of these types uh, that I think is, is beneficial for us today is the word trustworthy. I found in in my line of work that faithfulness is rare. I'm sure you could see in your life how rare faithfulness is. Your job may not be faithful to you. Your spouse, your loved one may not be faithful to you your friends not faithful your body not faithful them knees start. you betray me you betray me cracking like that telling everybody how old I am you are a traitor but nevertheless we have all experienced that somehow things tend to not be as trustworthy as we would hope Um, I don't know I'm gonna start with my, my my chief question before the Lord every once in a while I am challenged by um, how I pastor, okay? Just me as your under shepherd your to Christ. I do an evaluation of my pastoring techniques. Most often when it seemed like it ain't working. All right, that's when I really say, <laughs> we should, we, we're doing this right. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, you know, I recognize that Renew is a very special church It has a niche market, you should say, where we really focus on some strong individuals. Okay, our claim to fame here is, Pastor and the Holy Spirit, we don't raise punks in Christianity. You're going to have to be courageous in God. And coming with this whole, oh, I'm defeated, I don't know, we will give you a couple months to get through that. And after that, you're going to have to start knowing, okay? You're going to have to start standing. And that's just the true nature and culture of this church. And every so often I recognize that I am pushing by the spirit of God people to become powerhouses in God. You can be strong in God. You can do great things in God. Come on, you know, I'm just pushing, 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 pushing. And then I'm like, but should I? Should I push everybody to be an awesome warrior in Christ? Should I push people to forsake all and follow Christ? I mean, because collectively speaking, this is just me, when I look at all the massive amounts of churches in the United States, and then I look at some of the huge churches where massive believers amass, (laughs) and and they go to these churches, and, and it seems as if, What the focus is really about is how to take believers and allow them to live the most comfortable life that they possibly can. And I would think that that is a great goal for a pastor. All of your sheep are comfortable and contented. Whatever dreams they have to accomplish in life, you encourage them to accomplish those goals. Whatever direction they feel that the Lord might be leading them, you encourage them to go in whatever direction that might be. If you feel like you're in love and he is married, then just Wait on God and they will get a divorce and you guys can get together. If you feel like on the inside that God created you a man on the inside, but you got a female body, just trust the Lord's wisdom that he's given to doctors and he can adjust that for you if that's what you deem necessary. If you feel that even though you guys have not taken any vows in marriage, but you know that you guys love each other, then I'm sure you can participate in certain actions that exemplify love because God is loving. And I begin to recognize that a lot of a lot of very successful ministries and gatherings of Christians primarily focus not on trying to challenge believers, right? But on how to just help them get through challenging times. It serves a point. We cannot knock it. It serves a place. Hello, somebody. Cause some of us, if we didn't go to some of them churches, we would have been quit just be encouraged. Thank you. Okay. You know, it serves a place. I'm not knocking any of these ministries or these teachings. But as for this house, I have to evaluate, should I be pushing everybody to be so dynamic in God? You know, maybe people just want to just relax a little bit. You know, maybe they just want to, you know, go to work and not have to worry about spiritual warfare and ministering to everybody and evangelizing all the time and sharing the gospel and trying to, you know, maybe now people don't want to deal with that 24 seven. Cause as hard as it is for you to endure this pushing that the word of God does in this house, it is equally as hard for me to be one of the hands used to push you. <laughs> mm, mm, mm with your big self just go (laughs) your fat tail just you're so heavy (laughs) and i don't mean this physically i mean spiritually you're so heavy (laughs) and so at this point you're like well how about we just lord let's just do a series on faith family and finance and (laughs) let's just do something to talk about how the joy of the lord is everything you need and you know you just love him go home have your sunday dinner and you ain't got to worry about nothing else. But that is not the kind of word that we get here. <laughs> and so it makes, me, it makes me wonder, you know. When I was little, <laughs> I believed God at a young age, okay? I did. I did. I believed in God at a young age. I don't know if you guys remember the show Superman was out back in when I was a kid. Like the series, not just the movie. It was like a... It was a TV show at one point. It was really good. And um, (laughs) I remember looking at, you know, my family and going, we need change like Superman, you know. And I could see there was one episode where Superman flew flew out of the earth and, and flew around the earth in reverse. And he went around and reverse and reversed the whole spin of the earth and that like rolled back time and then he stopped Lewis Lane from being crushed in the earthquake because she was about to die and he stopped it because he went in reverse and, and, and it was just I was like, oh my god, Superman can change time. I was like, look at this and as a kid I'm thinking, well that seems feasible <laughs> if somebody just spins around earth real fast and just reverses it since the days go forward because of the sun. If you reverse it, the days will go backwards. As a kid, I'm like, that makes sense. And I thought to myself, why hasn't somebody invented a Superman? This is what I thought as a kid. Like, this is a great concept. Why has anybody invented him, made him, birthed him? Somebody need to have given us a super. This don't make no sense. We all see how good this is. And in my childlike mind at age nine, I remember going to church at my grandmother Mary's church and my mom's church and everybody on that side of the family. And my great grandfather and my grandfather were pastors. I remember sitting in their church and all the stuff that they would say about Jesus, I'd be like, it clicked. They did make it. His name is Jesus. Jesus is Superman. This story is about Jesus. And I turned on my little TV and I knelt down and I said, this is it. Jesus, I know who you, you the Superman. (laughs) Many people don't know this about you, but (laughs) I figured it out. (laughs) It's you. And if you could just Superman my family's life, hello, I'd be ever so grateful. And the next day I said, I don't know. I don't talk to Jesus. I said, mommy, daddy, can y'all take me to church on tomorrow? My mama said, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a minor hiccup in my plan. Jesus, it's, <laughs> it's a minor hiccup in my plan. I can't drive. I don't know how to go. This is, I was planning on me and, you know, we we'll to work this out. But it, ugh. <laughs> I ended up going to a Catholic church with my mom and dad's friend named Crystal and my mom got mad and said you know my dad and my granddad are pastors you ain't gonna be catholic and so out of spite <laughs> she started taking me to a baptist church because <laughs> she didn't want me to be catholic <laughs> and thus this started in my from my view the the change and reformation of our house mommy started going to church Daddy started going to church, and they was going to, they was in the choir. I was like, it's happening. And I knew it. I said, like, I knew, see, don't nobody know Jesus is really Superman. If they would know this, they would know he could do anything. And for a kid that feels powerless and helpless, but you have so much hope that things should be better around you, knowing that Jesus could do anything, you're like, and I was, I served him for a very long time, practically all my life. And it got bad because I was so passionate about God that I know my parents thought, what are we gonna do? Because they would say something, and I'd go something like, well, Jesus, and they would just be looking at me like. <laughs> they look at each other like, what we supposed to say about that? <laughs> can't say nothing. You just gotta just let her go with it. She's thick it's Jesus. You gotta just let her go. <laughs> and so I could tell it in my family, it was pretty much this girl had lost her mind a little bit, but she claimed it's Jesus. What are we gonna say? You just gotta let her run with it. You know, you gotta let her run with it. And hopefully he'll explain it to her later, but we can't touch it. We can't tell her Jesus ain't gonna work. We can't tell her that. Right. By the time I became a college student, my grandmother Mary got sick and this is one of those times when I knew. So I was nine, now I'm in college. Grandma Mary, Aunt Belle's mom, Got sick, real sick, real, real sick, and she was in a coma, and she was on life support, and all the family gathered together that summer, and we were all in the house praying, and we did a circle prayer, which my grandmama loved. Well, everybody, don't know, you know, circle prayers, and everybody hold hands, and they get in a circle, and the whole family, like, family and the kids run around, stop it, you know, <laughs> you know. And so my mom, who was terrified of praying publicly, decided out of faith to go first. Which means i was beside her so it went around and that means i was gonna go last and oh when you a young christian and it's family prayer time Ooh, you about to put it on up. oh i'm so nervous oh i'm sweating i'm sweating i'm sweating Mommy started praying, and it was probably, I would say, what you think about daddy? About 45, 50 folk in this, in this, cramped in this living room. And this prayer went all the way around the house, and everybody was saying, Lord, I bless you. I'm going somewhere with this. Just hold on. <laughs> we bless you for the life of our mom. We thank you for the life of grandma, and we give you over to her, and we thank, everybody prayed prayers. At this point, we're going to have to say bye, you know, they're going to pull the plug today, and. You know, the Lord will have to be done. But I was the last one in prayer. And I had already gone on a fast to see what the Lord wanted. They didn't know that. And so I said, okay, it's on me. And then he came on around to me and I was like, I'm about to kill him with this prayer. Oh, I'm about, to, Lord Jesus, thank you very much for it!" Yes, yes. <laughs> but all I could get out. <laughs> In my mind, I was like, I'm about, I'm about, I'm about to preach a prayer. I'm going to get them all the scripture. I'm going to say how the Lord can do anything. And Jesus, I'm going to kill him. And it, it came to me. I said, Lord, thank you for healing my grandmama. Amen. <laughs> now, the story goes that Aunt Belle, Mother Belle, right there, went to my mom and dad and said, y'all going to have to help her because she's not going to take this well. Like, the running theme was, again, your baby, this Jesus thing, is not a with reality. <laughs> Y'all going to have to watch her. She's she going to take it real bad. Long story short, they did take Grandmother Mary off life support, and she breathed. She started breathing and talking and left the hospital alive and well. And again, I, my faith was like, I knew it. I don't know why people just don't ask you before they start praying. They should just ask you, do you want to heal my grandmama? Yes or no? And then you will tell them yes. And then you could say, thank you for healing my grandmama. And the whole thing works. At this point, I was probably, you know, around my college years or so, So I was like, oh, bet, bet, this is done, solidified. Went to college, left God for a couple of years because daddy found out the church we were going to had bad theology which is why we're so persistent about theology, right? Knowing God truly in the Bible and right, rightfully interpreting it, and the scriptures. But somehow we came back to Jesus, at least I did. Daddy probably never left, and I came back to Jesus and I was on fire for God. Now. Being on fire for God, then I started started campus ministries, preached all over why people shouldn't pledge and Christians shouldn't pledge, Greek letter sororities and fraternities, and got hated on campus, started working at a church, loved working at the church, worked at another church, kept working at a church, keep working in churches, working in churches, working in churches, and now here I am, again, working in a church. Seems to be that this is more of the same. Now it's tough. I'm going somewhere okay I'm trying to show you my journey okay just just some of y'all know it but maybe some of y'all don't okay all right I'm missing a lot of details but this is the the general synopsis okay now I'm working in a church and it's my church and I started this church from nothing okay no extra money no organization just the Lord said and that was it and here you are here in a building like a regular church, that, 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 like a, it's, it's, a, it's like a doing a thing. Uh, we had COVID, we had my mom passing, and these past couple of years have been the hardest ever, like ever. Not just hard in church, hard in my life. And now that I'm experiencing an intense amount of grief and sadness, the thing about depression is it makes you think everything is going to suck all the time. I know you don't know that because I don't preach like that. But nevertheless, now you get to see what I be thinking on. Everything sucks and it's going to suck all the time. And that's the kind of connotation that depression has in your brain. And even when you try to look at a positive thing, then you go, but then they going to die. What? <laughs> and then I'm going to get fired and then I'm going to get sick because people get sick. And so depression has this thing where even when you try to look at the positive, the negative is just like, see, And then you go, well, what's the point? Anybody ever had any bouts of depression? Okay, and so now you're just constantly inundated with the idea that life is struggle, and life is pain, and life is hard. Anybody been there? And I don't really know, somebody need to change the method. You know, somebody need to say, that's enough. This was a terrible idea, let's let people be happy. Like, can we change that? Can we change that and then they say well he is and it's all gonna be all right when we go to heaven People, like, "Oh, okay well that makes sense but what I do right now because the issue here is in order to get to heaven I have to do now well in order to get the reward there I have to do current very well and the way my insides is going I don't want to do now well Okay? I don't want to do well because it's all going to suck. And that's how I feel. And that's all I'm going to say. This is how I got here. Hello? You can look back at all your problems. See, that was terrible. And this was terrible. And that was terrible. And my whole life was terrible. All my life, I had to fight. And you just be running down, you know, and you run down the list and you go, ah, right? This is a challenge of the heart is designed to test an individual's substance. This is beyond perseverance, dear children. This is an examination of what you are made of. Your substance, your spirit. I'm gonna show it to you in scripture. There's one story in the Bible that always yells out faithfulness and unfaithfulness to me. I love it. I read it all the time. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's got so many nuances to it that I think you might like it Like it too. Are y'all with me? Yes. Don't get tired now. Everybody, I'm sleeping, Pastor. Don't get sleeping now because I'm talking about faithfulness. You, you better wake up. What if your issue all along with why you cannot seem to get over certain things in God is not about uh, your perseverance, but about your lack of a faithful heart? How do you know if you have an unfaithful heart? Well, when the going gets tough, do you get back? (laughs) Do you slide back? Do you quit? Do you complain and murmur like I am doing in my heart? Do you, 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 like, you know what I'm saying? That might be a sign of unfaithfulness ever just might be let's see amen okay so let's first of all I'm gonna give you a couple of scriptures that you can keep in your and your spirit and in your notes Galatians 5 through 23 says but the fruit of the Spirit this is what the kids are learning today is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law Galatians tells us that faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit for something to do be a fruit of something it means that the the root of that thing itself resides in you and then because this thing is in you as it matures you have fruit right so to have a fruit of the Spirit means that people that have the Spirit of God will then show these things in their lives externally yes and faithfulness is one of the things that we show as believers that have the Spirit of Christ that's key okay all right remember because I said this is a test of your substance okay Ephesians 621 Paul is saying as his last final greeting he says so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing Tychius the believed brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything Tychicus, over and over and over again, through many scriptures and Acts and some of the Ephesians and Colossians, was a very faithful minister to Paul, and he was known to be faithful. Now, what this, what he really did was Tychicus was one. His first test was to take money from, from one church, that has been collected, and take it to another church, and this was the first test, and he did it well, right? He was very trustworthy. There's a story of a businessman who was going for a promotion. He wanted to apply for this new job, which is gonna pay him very well. The CEO gave him the interview. They had a wonderful time. The CEO said, let's go have lunch at the uh, corporate uh, cafeteria downstairs. The man said, that's great. The CEO sat down at his table while the man was going through the cafeteria getting his things. The CEO noticed that the man took a little, little pat of butter, about 20 cents, and put it underneath the roll so that he wouldn't have to pay. For the pat of butter and the CEO thought to himself if this man would cheat on 20 cents he cannot be trusted as a good steward for my company and so of course the man didn't get the job right Matthew 25 21 his master said to him well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over what much enter into the joy of your master. This is Jesus giving a parable about how the kingdom of God is. And we recognize that if you think that if you got a big shot, a big chance, if you're thinking down the road, one day I'm going to, one day I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm a preach. I'm gonna be an evangelist. I'm a, I'm gonna have my own company. I'm gonna have my own business and you are not faithful with little. You will not be faithful with much it doesn't even say that you maybe somebody will out of because you got good talk game Some of y'all good talk game you're very convincing <laughs> of your loyalty very convincing of your heart right but actions show up and when you start doing those little actions all of a sudden your trustworthiness goes down the tube and you don't even know why people start treating you different and so you start getting bitter because you think because they bad people They so rude. They so cold and heartless. Or did they start noticing that you are not trustworthy for friendship? You are not trustworthy. Hello, y'all. You are not trustworthy for confidence. You are not trustworthy. You're just not a trustworthy person. We give you this much and you, the little things. You're like, but the big things I don't. But you also don't on the little things. And so scripture says that even if somebody gave it to you, you're going to be unfaithful with it he's gonna be unfaithful he said no if, it, if I really got a shot I would no that's not how we're built amen okay all right and then first Corinthians 4 are you there write this down first Corinthians 4 1 through 2 so this is how I want you regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful oh how we like to talk about money and finances and how we need to be good stewards of God's money Oh, how we like to talk about the gospel and ministry, how we need to be good stewards of ministry, which is what this scripture is talking about. He says, but if you're going to be considered a steward in God's eyes, you have to be faithful. Now, you can call yourself a steward, but it doesn't mean God has given you anything. It just means you got it for yourself. <laughs> but if he calls you a steward, then he means, that means that he calls you trustworthy, right? To steward something that belongs to him. I want you to handle this thing that belongs to me and you handle it in such a way that it shows that you are very trustworthy and faithful, right? Now all kinds of things that God gives you that we're going to look at today that you may not have considered that it was up to you to be very trustworthy with that. And maybe you have mishandled it at the end of the message today. We're going to look at, have you been mishandling some of the things that God gave you to be very trustworthy with? Yeah. Okay you got those scriptures now let's look at my favorite narrative (laughs) let's go to numbers chapter 13 numbers chapter 13 the children of Israel have made it through the wilderness I like numbers because numbers gives us apart from Exodus numbers gives us some more details about the life structure of the children of Israel it really, you know, Genesis and Exodus gives us like an overcap, but numbers starts breaking down certain stuff that that I even know they did, like and when they did it, and it is mind blowing. But in this case, by the time we get to Numbers chapter 13, you know, Moses has already led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Pharaoh, let my people go. You know that part, right? They've crossed the Red Sea. They had a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And now they're over in the wilderness, and they're traveling from the wilderness. Um, supposed to be going to the promised land. All right. In the process, God is giving them temples. He's giving them commandments. He's showing them how to worship him and it's all going down really well. Okay. Now by the time we get to chapter 14 of numbers, it's time for them to go to the promised land, which is on the other side of this wilderness. And there's already people living in this land that God wants to give them. And so they were sending out spies, to look at this land to see if they should you know what, they, what they're gonna be dealing with so let's take a look at that all right the Lord spoke to Moses saying send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man everyone a chief among them so Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord all of them all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel and then it begins to list all of these people all right uh, verse 17 so moses sent them to spy out the land of canaan we're going to do this, a couple of chapters in this so, th- so be ready okay moses sent them to spy out the land of canaan and said to them go up into Negeb and go into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities they dwell in are in camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit of the land now that the time was a season of the first ripe grapes it's harvest season the children of israel are going to go conquer this land other aspects of the scriptures reveal that this particular in deuteronomy this particular journey was The people also told, Deuteronomy says that the people told Moses, can we send out spies? Reveals a new aspect of this. And then Moses said, I think so. And the Lord said, it's fine. Then Moses said, let's send them. So people first said, we need to go check this out before we go marching over there. right?" Moses said, I think that might be a good idea. Moses talked to God. God said, do it. Then Moses said, God said, let's do it that's key all right the initial idea that you need to spy out the land did not come from God because he already knows what's over there all right but it's interesting because there are things that the Lord gives you for your own understanding if I could just understand if I could just see and he gives it to you but he also knows that this is going to sift you like wheat you wanted this knowledge so bad, you wanted to understand so bad, and now it's doing something in your insides. So he sent them. Now, it the got there. Let's let's take, let's keep going. <clears throat> so when they went up, this is verse 21, and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rohab near Labo, Hamath. They went up to Negev, and they did all the, they went out all the places. Okay, and they came to the valley of echo and cut down from there. There was a branch of a single cluster. Pretty much the whole journey, uh, Deuteronomy also says that everywhere they went, they saw giants and uh, the Amalekites, and on this side, they saw even bigger giants, and on this side, they saw a huge army. North, south, east, west, no matter where they went to look at how we could best approach Canaan, these spies saw nothing but problems. All right? Nothing but problems. Good fruit good land but there are fortified cities with people that are huge and big not in just in size but numbers they are huge everywhere we turn <laughs> now as the story goes we're gonna look at that in detail they come back and they tell the children of Israel man it's land here goes some great grapes yeah it's nice but woo, <laughs> it's a problem everywhere we turn from every angle it looks like it's going to be a problem trying to get there Y'all don't want to help me preach today from every angle that we take, no matter how I look at it, it's always going to be a struggle. No matter how I go at it, it seems like it's going to be a fight. Well, y'all help me preach. No matter what, if I'm going to get to that, it's going to be very challenging no matter which side I take. I keep going, it's gonna be hard. If I stop, it's gonna be hard. If I go this way, it's gonna be hard. If I go back to school, it's gonna be hard. If I just take the job, it's gonna be hard. If I buy the house, it's gonna be hard. If I rent, it's gonna be hard. If I walk, it's gonna be hard. If I buy the car, it's gonna be hard. <laughs> Every direction I look like, I'm trying to tell you it is going to be very difficult. Got it? Okay. Can't avoid that. These are the facts. Okay. It's gonna suck all over the place. Now, the biggest issue are the people and their size, the giants that are in the land. But when you go back to Exodus, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he specifically did not take them the shortest route because the shortest route had giants in the land. So he said, no, we can't take them by the giants. They are not ready. They're not ready, they're not ready for that kind of challenge. So he took them the long way around, only to find out that now you're supposed to be ready to fight these giants. What? (laughs) Yep, it's time now, let's hit it, let's hit them giants. Now in my mind, I would think if you, God, specifically did not take me through the area with the giants because you knew I wasn't ready and we went the long way. Don't you think that rather than building this temple, we should have been training on how to fight. Don't you think that rather than building this ark, we should be building some swords? We should be getting some nunchucks or something, some spears, some bow and arrows. Don't you think we need to be having some people learning how to fight, how to duck, how to move, some plays out here in the battlefield? I would think that if you knew that we had to conquer these giants at some point, that our preparation should have included learning how to fight. This shit ain't included learning how to doggone fight. <laughs> <laughs> we over here eating manna. You need to sending some protein shakes down from heaven or something. I, what made them so big? Can we get that? Can we get whatever made them big? How, why you ain't sending that down? <laughs> Nobody else thinks like this. Just me, huh? I'm the only one. I'm the only one that thought... This is, this is terrible preparation. So you mean to tell me that in God's most infinite wisdom, when he decides to keep you from a battle, it's not because you won't have to ever fight that battle. It's because you're not ready to fight that battle. Let's back it up, back it up, back it up. Let's back it up. See, there are times in your early Christianhood where God just does it. I mean, delivered. Presence. And you be like, oh it's so why don't everybody love God? This is amazing. He's so wonderful. And then he don't do that. Then he just stopped with the whole miraculous one day. And it's like this now now this thing just dragging all out, just so I'm just going to die like this. I'm just going to be going to just, I'm going to suffer all this time. I'm just going to just keep suffering. i huh? just going to be bad every day. Yeah, Every day bad. What happened to God going to do it? You know? Come on. You used to be like that. Didn't you? Wasn't you? Did I just make this up? I remember you used to do grand stuff like this, or was it just a figment of my imagination? And you trying to figure out, you know, <laughs> So when you know we're going to have to fight this giant, Uh these giants, rather than teach us how to war, which I think would come in handy, you teach us how to trust you and worship. Oh. 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 See, this, y'all not trying to help me. There are certain churches that figured it out. Rather than trying to teach you how to make money, rather than try to teach, y'all don't want to help me. Rather than trying to teach you how to invest, rather than trying to teach you how to, maybe I just need to teach you how to be, how to trust God and worship. Maybe I need to teach you something else. Hello? Sit old there. I don't know. I'm just, you know, this is my own personal evaluation of how I pastor. Maybe I need to stop teaching people, you know, how to trust God through various trials and tribulations and how to see him clearly and maybe I need to teach people on how to avoid some of these trials and tribulations but he did he didn't he didn't teach him to fight he taught him how to worship and how to trust him you hungry Pfft, manna you thirsty water I got you and this is the whole shebang while they in the wilderness now bear in mind let's unpack some scripture here the word wilderness means that it is not suitable for life this means that he took them not to fight the giants but put them in an area where growth and life is not conducive Have you ever been in a situation where you ever brought to a point in your life and you go, nobody could survive this. Nobody could live through that. Nobody could grow in that situation. And nevertheless, there you were in a wilderness where you, you ain't in no lush garden. You ain't got no crops of your own. You look at that other people where crops going there Well, they got a daddy. Look at that. Ain't that nice. They got a mama. Look at that. Ain't that nice. Oh, they got money. Look at them buying bicycles and stuff. I just pretend I got a bicycle and I just do this. <laughs> and you look over at other people's lives and you go, that's how you're supposed to live. That's how life is supposed to be done. That's how, that's what life is really about. That's all I need is to live just like that. And then you look at your situation, you go, you brought me to a wilderness. Ain't nobody led me here. I was a baby. You did this. You brought me here. You plopped me right down in the midst of this. In a situation that you, you, no one should expect growth, let alone life. to do what I'm glad you asked I'm glad you asked why did you bring me here I'm glad you asked now how you look at that determines everything how you look at that determines everything okay why did you bring the children of Israel through the wilderness right Why didn't you plop us down like the gods of other nations in very cush situations and locations? But the chosen people, the chosen people, your folk, the ones you love, the ones you called, you send them to the wilderness. Come on, don't act like you ain't never felt. I served you faithfully. I believed in God. I went to church all my life, and this is how you treat me. Come on, Pastor. Come on. It seemed like you should treat the, these other people like that. Deliver me from Pharaoh only to go to the wilderness. This is This is cruel. This seems cruel first I was a slave, now I'm just out here about to die every two seconds. Serpents biting us, plagues happening, can't get no water, ain't got no food, just look at us. <laughs> then they start to think it would've been better if we went back to Pharaoh. Something is happening on their insides. Hello? Let's go to 1 Corinthians for just a second. I wanna show you something that Paul is saying about this journey, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, oh, how I wish your life had started better. Don't you say that to yourself sometimes? Oh, I wish if I had a two parents, I would have been so far along. If I, had, if, if I didn't have an abusive such, I would have been so far along. If I would have went to a better school, if would, we would have had, oh, oh, if we could have, should have, had, would have, my life would have been so much more different. I would have had a better start. Would have had a stronger current right now. Maybe you think if I would have went through something, isn't that right, Sister Gabrielle? If I would have had some more problems, maybe I would be more holy and anointed. I wouldn't, I ain't go through no drug problem. I don't know. I ain't ain't got no terrible testimony. I just, maybe you would have gave me that. I wouldn't be so spoiled now, Jesus. Have you ever considered that? You should have gave me more trials and tribulations. Now, out of all this church, there's only one person that can say that, and that is her right there. That's that's what she complains about. Just so y'all know, the nature of Gabrielle is you should have gave me more problems so I have a deeper testimony so I won't be so flim-flam now. And everybody else with all the bad problems go, what? Y'all want that? Y'all want that? Y'all want that? And she go but look at you look out love you how much you love the Lord look out look at you look at you you look at you, you be like what no mm-mm, you don't want this <laughs> hello different strokes for different folks people everybody ain't like you they not everybody ain't got the same story as you and yet God still called them god still called them and chose them chose them chose you and some of y'all like night and day huh? now imagine pastor in that variety like oh my god <laughs> you can do it sit down you're great you're terrible stop it you get amazing you, you sit down. you're not that amazing get that pride out of you <laughs> every day i'm like this <laughs> well, i'm dizzy now <laughs> loose here dizzy spirit Got to question my pastor in every day. Too much, too less. Too much, not enough, not enough. Too much, not enough. <laughs> You're too hard on him. You're too soft on him. I don't know. <sighs> Are you there? First Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is giving a warning to the Colossian church about idolatry, among other things. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Let's just stop there for a second. Okay, so Paul is trying to make a plea For believers to get their hearts right with God and he uses the children of Israel to say everybody that had a chance to cross over to Canaan everyone had the same blessings they all saw the hand of God part the Red Sea they all saw the hand of God give them manna from heaven. They all saw the pillar of fire by da- uh, shadow the pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. They all saw this, they all participated. They all drank water from the dog on rock twice. They all experienced how God did something miraculous in saving them in a wilderness where life is not conducive Children of Israel experienced two situations of not conducive for living. That's Pharaoh, and that's wilderness. That's being in bondage to sin, and that's being in a dying world, y'all. Two. It's two things, All right? Bondage to sin and debt, bondage to sin and iniquity under Pharaoh, and now also now just you're, you're, you're cursed in a dying place. Your back, your knees, your legs, the scarcity, inflation, recession. Uh, uh. Somebody asked me the other day. They said, Pastor, how's your church doing? Your members doing with the recession? Are they flipping out? I said, They better not be. <laughs> they said, So, how they doing? I said, The Lord is with them. That's it. That's the whole conversation. I don't know what church you go to, but my baby's going to be on rhymes. Right. I said, Matter of fact, I prep my babies before the recession. So, if they were listening, they're doing quite well. Right? Nevertheless, he says everybody had the same blessings, but something was uniquely different about how each one perceived what was taking place. Now, let's go back to to, uh, Numbers for a second. Let's finish reading the story. So they sent out spies. The spies came back after 40 days. Let's look at verse 25 in Numbers 13 is where you were. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation and of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. They brought back word to them all to the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, and they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants Descendants of Anak, there. The the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill countries. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea. gone it, I tell you, along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people. Now, this is, they're telling the report, and everybody's like, oh, no. What about the north? Oh, no. What about the sea? We cross the Red Sea like we did the last time. We cross the Jordan like the Jesus did the sea. Let's do that. Canaanites everywhere but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it then the man who had the men who had gone up with him uh, said we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are so they brought the people brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land and they had spied out, saying, the, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation, this is chapter 14, verse 1, raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord underline this bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader. And go back to Egypt stop right there they sent the spies out Caleb was one of them when they come back they're given a report and Caleb sees the politics that's going on now bear in mind um, sometimes we look at this story as very individualistic um, as well as one person but this is a huge nation at this point, okay? The people that are giving these reports and discussing this are top political figures, okay? Okay. Top ruling officers. They ain't your cousin to them. (laughs) Like, yeah, what you think we should do? I think we should do that. It's It's not down on that level. Do you understand? So they're getting the official reports, and when they're getting this official report, right, that has been going down from the heads of the nation and it's being disseminated, there's also now what Caleb is noticing is there's a little bit of biasness within the, the reporting of the facts. Like it's as if the facts are being reported with a little bit of biasness. And they're telling you the land has giants in it, but they're also letting you know that they're too big for us. And they're focusing on the size and the difficulty of the problem that people might have a more realistic view of what they're coming against. And then Caleb, like some sort of fake news agent, starts saying, but we can overtake them. And he just shuts up all of that and says, hey, hey, but let's go up right now before y'all start getting all scary. Let's just go up right now. Let's get the land. Let's take it. We ain't got to sit over here. We can go. We can, we can, we can handle them. We can overthrow them. We can get this. None of the other spies believe that he's outnumbered. And the story goes out to the children of Israel that the land is occupied, fortified with people that are too big for them to conquer. Right now as a nation that does not affect us. I mean like that story, But within this huge nation are individuals, families, with kids, dogs, sheep, (laughs) cattle, vested interests that desire a life, finally, where their kids can just grow up regular. Finally, don't have to be shot or killed by police. I mean, by marauders on other nations coming in finally all they want is a life where they could just have a little bit of rest and normalcy and now we get the report <sighs> that that's a wash that if we go our kids could die our women could die they're just not ready to take that that challenge so they said well, look we can't stay in the wilderness. Now, my thing is, why not? <laughs> I mean, the Lord been providing for you there right. so far. Right. You've you been in the wilderness. Why do you think we should just stay here? Right. They took away. We're going to go back to Egypt. And this, to me, says you know that you're going against the God. And so now you've you got to have a plan that you could sustain, relatively speaking, without him don't act like you ain't done that like I know this is not what God wants for me but let me check my checking account first I know this is not what God wants for me but when I'm gonna get that next bonus you're already making plans in preparation because you know you're gonna fall out the favor of God and you want to make sure you got enough cushion that the part that matters to you most won't be affected I know how you do I've been there what well, I mean I mean I ain't got to deal with that part so I might as well just go back at least I'll have this at least I'll have that So they start making preparations to go back they want a new leader to take them back to Egypt this is where it gets sticky the next verse verse 3 of chapter 4 says why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword Let's stop right there. That that question determines everything. It determines everything. Why would the Lord take your most traumatic and dramatic situation of your life, the roughest season you ever had, and then ask, why would the Lord? How you answer that determines the way you choose everything. You know, I was reading a quote the other day, and it said, my life is where it is because of my choices. And I said, uh-uh, As a pastor, I look at all the struggles, you know, in my, in my depressed state. There's problems everywhere, giants on every side get into the promised land it's dog nothing but a fight I tell you what and in this depressed state I say that all sucks right and then I go self why why would the Lord bring you I don't know get to heaven I guess Whoa, it's so rough no nobody's ever been there when they were in the wilderness God was providing Caleb and the spies went and the other spies went to go spy out the land. Caleb saw how they could take them, the giants, because of the Lord. The spies saw how they could not take them. What Paul says in Corinthians says that everybody experienced the hand of God in this wilderness. You Have experienced the hand of God in your most traumatic in your most depressing in your most worrisome stages of life you too have experienced the hand of God so when you get to this part when everything starts looking so terrible the question is why why would the Lord this this answers everything I started looking at my situation, I'd be like, you know what? When I was telling my therapist the other day, I said, I looked up and said, Who, who picked this? <laughs> who picked this life? Did I pick this? I don't remember picking it. I, I, okay, I, who said I'm gonna be unmarried, pastor of church? no kids probably won't have kids may not get married have all this responsibility to preach the gospel have other people's lives affected by my life but the pastor just sit down maybe you should take a rest then what's gonna happen i don't know probably won't have a church but nevertheless we'll be all right at least we have jesus i don't like that i don't like that i don't i don't know i don't know how this works and then i told my therapist so who picked these choices is is it okay for me to talk to you who made these just woke up i looked at my life and be like who set this up made some better choices anybody ever been there anybody look at your life and say I should have made some better choices maybe your life is is like where it's a good spot like my life technically spiritually isn't a good place but I'm also looking at going but who picked this because even though it's spiritually in a great place physically and emotionally it is a horrible place and I go who brought me to here now the truth of the matter is some of the things are a consequence of stuff you picked like bad things bad stuff that you picked bad choices some of it you made some bad choices and you were sitting in that some of it is stuff that was outside of your control some it just happened it was God's will there was nothing you could do about it that was his thing for your life but most of it the majority of it you picked for yourself willingly. You decided you did, you did, you picked that bad boy. And then when given the opportunity to not pick it again, you picked it again. And at the last failure, you was like, I ain't going to do that no more. Then you did it again. (laughs) Who keeps picking these things? And now you are living in the sum total of all your poor choices. anybody ever been there and I go who picked this I, oh I did I for the most part when I was in elementary school I decided to serve the Lord when I, when I went to college I decided to serve the Lord when I when I graduated from college I decided to serve the Lord when when I started working in churches I decided to serve the Lord and now I'm a pastor and I'm still decide oh I, I I I picked these things and then I wanted to say well you should have told me that it'd be picking these things, it would also mean yes. pain and sorrow. Uh-huh. It would mean dealing with the death of your mom while pastoring. It would mean dealing with the death of aunts and uncles while pastoring. It mean dealing with not having kids and not being married while pastoring. Why ain't you telling me, I don't think you really, you should've, you should've gave me the whole list. Like you should let me spy out the land, okay? You should've let, Come on. You should've let me spy out the land first. You know, i don't know what's coming up <laughs> i had no clue what was coming up yes. had no idea what was getting ready to happen yes. no idea how my life would turn out i had no but i was stupid enough to go but jesus yes. Yes. and my parents were dumb enough to go don't say nothing she said it's jesus <laughs> so all of us is just dumb as a box of rocks I blame us both, Daddy. I blame us both. Somebody said you need to be more realistic. Jesus is a fairy tale. It's a myth. It's something positive people say just to help you get through rough times. But at the end of the day, you need to be realistic. You need balance, Taliba. Why didn't my parents tell me that? Balance, Taliba. They didn't even tell me that. They was like, "What we gonna say? She say it's Jesus. Just let her. Just let her go, man. Just let her. Let her do the thing she think is Jesus." Why do you let me spy out the land? I should have ran into another pastor in my situation and be like, uh uh-uh, uh, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that at all. Uh-uh. You let me run into relatively decent pastors. All but two of my all of my pastors was married with kids. What you think I'm about to get? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm about to get married and have kids too. I right? think there's a possibility. Nope. You ain't let me spy out the land. Did not let me spot the land. And it, did you? Or did you let me spot the land? And I had a different perception. Wow. Wow. Because I distinctly remember there are times and I said, you know, even if I have to die for Jesus, Jesus. I'll die for Jesus. I remember as a kid, I said, even if I had to go through this and my friends used to laugh at me and tease me, I would come home, Daddy, and I would come home crying all the time for how kids would be so mean and tease me because I loved Jesus so much and everything was about God. And I spied out the land and I knew that my life was, in, was going to have a lot of that. And I said, let's go. Let's conquer it. Let's do it. Let's take it down. Let's move. I was so excited About the things of God, then something happened. You get close to the promise, (laughs) and you start looking at these giants. For time's sake, they said the land that we spied out is good, and Caleb tried to convince them as well as, as well as Joshua that if God delights in us he will bring us into this land and give it to us the land that flows with milk and honey only do not rebel against the Lord do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear for them do not fear them then all the congregation said to stone them with stones but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, stop right there. Joshua, who was known to have stayed in the temple with Moses his entire life, okay? It was Moses in the temple with God and then Joshua. And in my opinion, he was just kind of in the corner, like I ain't gonna say nothing. I'm gonna stay right here, maybe nobody will notice me, but this is a mess, do you see, look at the wall. And the whole time Moses was in there, so was Joshua which makes sense why he then leaves the people afterwards because he's been in the presence of God with Moses just looking at it going. "Mm, mm, mm." Even when Moses would leave out the temple, Joshua, I'm going to just stay here just in case somebody need to be ready for whatever God might show up. In this case, God just shows up. Everybody's complaining. Everybody's crying. The whole thing is chaos. Joshua and Caleb are trying to convince everybody, we can do it. Everybody's like, we can't do it. This is stupid. Why would you do it? Ah!" And then God shows up. Cloud, fire, tabernacle meetings It's an essay He said, Come here, like it, 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 who us? no, just him, just just Moses, as always, just so <laughs> Moses got to go in the tabernacle meeting and be like, Oh Lord, <laughs> I mean, oh, you just oh, and he be thinking. Y'all the reason why I'm about to get in trouble. You're the ones that cause all this, where you were you gonna be over there in your tent doing nothing. Meanwhile, I gotta go talk to the Lord, see his fury about how he feel. And you just find it. You done caused all the mess. Ain't that like some people of Israel? Ain't that like, hello? You done wrecked my whole church. And all thing you gotta tend to right now is your tent, your little space. Meanwhile, I gotta go to the Lord and be like, now Lord, did we, how we handling the, is this the right, constantly in his face about mess you caused, how it affects the entire church, the problem you caused. Only thing you're dealing with, and it's interesting, is your little tent. Which makes sense why pastors just preach faith, family, and finance to keep you contented, because technically that's all you really are concerned with. Is your budget not the church budget yours your finances your family your house your car your surroundings and that your has caused a huge problem because now now this is the catcher the Lord wants you to go trusting him to fight now just let's be honest okay they decide they're not going to go. They don't like it. And God gets so mad that he tells Moses, the heck with them all. Look, look at, look at, look at that verse. I didn't, some of y'all don't know the details, so I, so I want to jump ahead, but I want you to see the details for yourself, okay? I don't want you to think I'm just make added stuff to the story, okay? Where was I? And so the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. You know what? That, that makes sense, God, when you think about it, that you are capable of, since we are not really giving you back, what you, we're not really giving, now this is the truth. God has been faithful to them thoroughly. Pick them out of every other nation thoroughly. Chose them specifically, brought them out of slavery, and kept them in the wilderness. And everything they needed, He was faithful to supply it. Maybe not the way they thought He should, but He did it. And when you look back, He did it in such a way that gave them two blessings. You know, i want to talk about that. You know, he, he provided for you, and He also that provision also did something in here, or it also set you up for your next job, or it also set you up for this next. He always did multiple things with the way He provided that was uniquely different than the way you thought He should. He was faithful and it's your turn to be, to like give that back to him. This is the part that always pricks me as a pastor. When I see the Lord be faithful, to my own congregation, faithful to give you a job, faithful to help you with that place to live, faithful, I mean, just constant, constant, constant. And then you have the audacity and the unmitigated gall to when it starts getting hard for you, you wanna question everything about God. I mean, like you question his nature. How could a loving God, if he loves me so much, then why? And and you had the same blessings the same miracles in an environment where you shouldn't even be alive the same keeping the same deliverance from sin the same and when it's your turn this means that the whole time that he was blessing you were thinking about how he could have done more the whole time he was keeping you were thinking about how he shouldn't even had to do it in the first place. So you focus on all the wilderness and thought it's so crappy that I'm in the wilderness versus look at all that God is doing while I'm in the wilderness. This decision that they made to not go to not happen in one moment. No, hear me out. The spies were the people that they chose to lead them. They were the heads of Israel. They picked them. This means these heads of Israel represent the whole heart of the people of Israel. Wow. So out of 12 spies, was it 10? I mean, 12, 12 spies, I think it was one for every tribe. out of all these spies, only one of y'all, one tenth, 12 one, what whatever, one of one out of the percentage, do the math for yourself, I'm not your math teacher. I don't know. Just, only a small percentage have been going through all these trials and tribulations with the right heart. And everybody else has always been complaining. Like always. You have to recognize that about yourself because this is your warning. You cannot be faithful if your perception of how God does and what he does is bad. You just can't, if you can't see that how he does and what he does is always good and good for you, you will always be unfaithful. I will say it again because you think that there's an exception to the rule. If you cannot see that everything God does and how he does it, how he allows it, how he brought it, whatever you want to say that it was not good and good for you, you will struggle with being faithful. We look back at the children of Israel's story and we go, man, that was an amazing miracle. We see all the positive, don't we? Oh, the manna, oh, the water. Then we see how it reflects Christ. And, oh, he's the rock. And Jesus is the rock and the manna and the bread from heaven. Oh my God. What symbolism that God was even doing. And we see the whole story and we go, how could they ever think that that was bad? What if it's true for your story? What if the angels in heaven and the cloud of witnesses that have already crossed over looking at your story and going, How could you ever think that that was bad? How could you not see how good he was to do that, to move in that way, to take you through this? How how could you not see it, that you were hungry? All you think about is your hunger. Y'all don't want to help me. All you think about is how terrible it was when you were hungry. It was so bad when we were hungry. It was so bad that we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. It was, it was the most traumatic thing I ever had. I almost thought my babies was going to die. We didn't have no food. And all you think is about the trauma and that's, what's given soul these days. Remember the trauma of your life. Remember the triggers of your life. Remember how it affected you. Remember how bad it was. Remember the pain and all it's producing is fear. It produces fear. Now, even the heads of the body of Christ are telling you to be cognizant of the trauma in your life, to remember the pain of your life, because you got to dissect the pain and remember the pain if you can ever conquer it. What about remember the blessings? What about remembering the promises? What about remembering the deliverance? What about remembering the provision? Why aren't we teaching that? Because you picked us that we might identify with your pain. And all it's done, let's just be honest, is make you afraid. Well, I can't really trust people because I have trust issues. Who told you that? That gets so to a point. CC, you don't mind if I use you. She said, Pastor, it's hard me to trust people because I never people's never trust, trust. I said, but that ain't the case now. And she's like, yeah, but it might be. I said, but it ain't now. Like it's just so hard to convince somebody currently, right now, that is not happening. And you are so afraid of what, that's what worry is, something that hasn't even happened. You're afraid that it might happen, that you can't even enjoy the idea that you got manna today. The idea that you got bread today. The idea that you got water today. You're so afraid. Because throughout all of your experiences, you remember more the pain that you went through than the blessing. And it produces a contrary spirit. You remember the pain of what it was to lose that loved one. I made a determining factor. I remember when Mommy passed. When Grandma passed, who I wasn't ready. And I grew really distant with God. And He spoke to my heart and brought me back, and I'm grateful. But when Grandma passed, I knew that He was the God of death. Like, like the one that calls it. And can't nobody change it and it broke my heart. Mommy was going through, everybody was going through. So as a teenager, you know, who you gonna talk to? Because I took care of my grandmother for a year. I dropped out of school and moved up there to make sure she had whatever she needed. I mean, we were, so when she passed, I was like, don't talk to me, Lord. Like, I love you, and i would go through my prayer list, and I'd like, just stay over there. I'm not, I don't want you to all affected in my heart right now, just. And we were real distant, and I had to deal with the the fire of God, the magnitude of who he is. I'm like, oh, so you're the God that ends it. And when you do it, can't nobody undo, undo it. Nobody can turn it but you. You're the final, you got the final say on everything. On everything and anything, it's you, you got the final. And all my life, you have been so gracious to turn everything around for me. And now I had to deal with the idea that you are not turning this. months after the funeral I'm still struggling still struggling and the Lord he said to me but she's with me one day in the shower I said what the Holy Spirit said your grandma she's with me and when he said me if it wasn't for that his me brought back everything that I loved about him everything that we experienced together he said to me and I was like all of like pictures in my mind just scrolling through my phone of all the memories we've shared together and i said oh she's with you and if he had not turned my eyes from seeing this mean vicious god that says the end of things i would have never remembered how he's been loving and kind and generous how he raised her up that one time got her out of the bed from the coma I would not have remembered that I saw his hand of blessings so many times and I would have focused on this one aspect of who he is so by the time mommy passed I had learned a very important lesson you have to accept all of God not just part of him if you're going to love him like a man, you got to, you know, like a husband that you would love, you got to love every aspect of him, not just the ones you like. Right? People are like, oh, I want a strong man. Do you? Do you want a strong man? Do you? Because that comes with some stuff. Well, I want a man that can really cater to me. Do you? Because that also comes with a whole other situation. And you have to expe- accept all of that that comes with this thing that you say you love. I said, God, okay, so now I get that you are God that makes this kind of decision. So the first thing when mommy passed, I said, I know, you had to, but I also know if you could not do it, you wouldn't for me. And from that day on, I remembered how God loved me. And from two years ago to now, all I do is watch his hand in the midst of my pain. The pain is still here. But I see his hand, I see his presence, I see the manna, I see the water, I see the fire, I see the cloud. And I say, you're still good. You're still good. And what you see is the fruit of faithfulness. You see the fruit of faithfulness. But it started from a very important lesson about who God is. It started from there. So now the children of Israel are standing on that precipice. Why would God lead us here? Now how they answer this determines everything. How you answer your why from the trials you're in now, from the trials you were in, and for the trials yet to come will decide the nature that you, were, that you are. And God told, God told Moses, I'm going to kill everybody. I'll just make you a whole new nation because I'm God. I can do that. It ain't got to be you. Oh, you so mad? You big mad? After all I've done, it ain't got to be you. I could use anybody. And some of y'all are getting a very tough lesson that, oh, I ain't that special. You're only special if he wants you to be special. <laughs> That's it. You're only unique if he wants you to be unique. Right? But at the end of the day, he's committed to himself. Uh-huh. Not you. A perfect God doesn't commit to uncommitted people. That's stupid. He makes all his vows and covenants with himself because he can keep them with himself. You and I are interchangeable. Do you know how many people have lived on this earth before you? Do you know how many people might live after you? The fact that he would visit you on any day of your life is a miracle. And some of y'all get visitations every Sunday, every Wednesday, the Lord comes down and says something right to you. In the midst of your heartbreak, he'll come and say something right to you. Who are we that he is mindful of us? He literally says you are a grain of sand on the beach. One grain out of all the sand. And I keep my eyes on you because you keep your eyes on me. Yeah. They were standing at the precipice of trying to decide why would the Lord? Why would the Lord? Why would the Lord? Why would the Lord? I know, come on, come on, let it, let, it, let it go. Why would the Lord tell me? Why would the Lord call me? Why would the Lord lead me? Why would the Lord take it? Why would the Lord give it? Why, why, why? Why is he letting this happen? Why did he let that happen? Why will he let that happen? How you answer that reveals your spirit it was upset of Caleb when Moses said now Lord please don't kill everybody because we he, he understood something in being able to talk to God like a friend I know what you really want you want a people that will represent you to the rest of your people that they might know who you are and come back to you I know that's really your heart your heart is not to destroy your heart is to further love and to love not just them but others that's your heart so Lord don't deal with them he says as one man like I got to destroy the entire nation don't deal with them as one man okay Lord don't don't do that because then if you kill them out here then they're gonna be like oh God Almighty brought people out and then killed them in the wilderness (laughs) That's, that's not that goes against what you want I know you And so as a friend to a friend do you understand maybe you don't get it for moses to be in the presence of god and god to speak to him like a friend to a friend means that god let moses be a steward of his heart it's like a friend giving you a piece of something that is very valuable to who they are like this is really me and they give it to you, right? And it, you're supposed to hold it like a good steward for safekeeping. And when your friend starts getting overwhelmed by the problems and how other people did them wrong, you're supposed to take that piece of their heart that they gave you that belonged to them and you're supposed to remind them, nah, friend, now come on, you know you ain't like that. You ain't got to stoop down to their level. Come on, that's not really who you are. God allowed Moses to be a steward of his heart so when moses was saying god don't do it all he was doing is just replaying back who i know you to be that you let me be. i know what you really want i know this is what you really want it ain't that moses came up with something god listened to him moses was a steward of god's heart and he was faithful I was gonna say, I know, kill them because they is a pain in my behind. I tell you, every time I look up, they're trying to throw me away and get a new leader. He could have really got offended. Do you believe, God, that he also wanted to find a new leader to take them back to Egypt? After all the stuff that you and I did, me you and you, we both did that. And he could have just hyped them up, hyping them up like, yeah, we did kill. Let's get a whole new nation. But he didn't. He didn't. And this time he knew it's not about me. It's about you, God. And I know your heart. Now that is a trusted friend. That's a trusted friend. I get it. So he said it back to God. God said, "All right, well, you're right, but mark my words." And that's really what he said. Mark my words. Not now. One of them that ever see my goodness truly is gonna go into that promised land. And then And did. And did they all going to die off everyone that drank the water crossed the red sea ate the bread experienced my goodness in this wilderness and then had the audacity out of fear out of fear out of fear that they're not going to get what they want out of fear of pain cuz that's really what it is when you cuz I kept going when they knew God did all that Couldn't they also see that he, what is these giants? He killed Egypt. I don't think it was the outcome that you're afraid of. It's the pain. Because you could see how God could use you to defeat them. You don't like the idea that you have to go through another traumatic event. You don't like the idea that you could give it your heart again and that friend betrays you. You don't like the idea that you could start serving God all over again and really get serious and really get passionate all over again and then mess up. So I'm just not, it's more so the fear that you'd have to go through this. than it is the idea that you don't think God can deliver you. You're tired of the struggle. And now you're looking back at your wilderness and going, it's always been a struggle. It's always been a struggle. Everything is a struggle. Now you're telling me even get to the promised land, another struggle? I'll give you a second. He says, shall, none of them. None of them. They've tested me 10 times. 10 times they put me to the test. And now they want to do it again, and now they don't want to obey me? No. None of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb. Watch this, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully. Caleb had a different spirit. A spirit that will allow him to follow God fully. One of courage, one that could see the future victory and one that did not count his temporary suffering in order to get that future. F- he could see it because if that's what we got to go through now, bear in mind, Caleb was one of the spies. It's not like Caleb was at home and they came and gave him the report and he was like, Ooh, shook. Or, ooh, I'm not shook because I didn't really see it. He saw it himself. He saw the height of the giants. He saw the spans of their army. He saw it all. Him and the rest of the spies. And every time everybody saw it, they were like, oh, my God. And Caleb would go, yep, it's on. Let's go to the next land. They would go, oh, no. He would go, it's on. Let's get it. Let's get it every time that they saw discouragement and problems Caleb saw possibility and victory he had a different spirit in him the scriptures say where he looked at the same stuff and saw hope possibility and victory and they looked at it and saw more problems more trials more tribulations and more losing He was rare. It's obvious he was rare. Because none of the people that lived that day to see all those miracles lived to cross over but the babies that never saw it. Him, Joshua, and the babies. The rest of them died in the wilderness. And he said, I'm gonna give them, this is the thing God said, I'm gonna give them one year for every day they were on their spying mission they spied for 40 days so he gave them how many years 40 years right 40 years in the wilderness 40 years in the wilderness to kill off thousands upon thousands of people is very obvious what's going down 40 years is half of a lifespan at 40 years you'd be like yeah he he he, he, he they did <laughs> this was on purpose and now all you got is these new babies that, that showed up and they believe God and they didn't even see or bear witness to the miracles they just heard of it it reminds me of their modern church where we didn't really see Christ but we heard of it and through them their faith is accounted as righteousness So they crossed on over. The thing about Caleb's spirit being different is how how I wish all of us, or at least all of them, or maybe more of them, could have had the same spirit as Caleb. Oh, that we might have some type of source within us that is different than us. Oh, that we might have some type of source of substance within us that is uniquely different than us. Because me, myself and I will look at that and go, oh my God, and fear and tremble. But if I had a spirit, if I had some kind of spirit within me that can look at the same situation and say, look how my God is gonna win it. Look at how, if I could just have, oh, y'all don't wanna help me today. All I need is a spirit that can say, shut up heart. Take courage. Shut up mind. Shut up emotions. Shut up feelings. Look at God. Look at God. Look at God. Look at God. God. That's why you have received the promise. That's why Christians have the promise. The promise of what? The spirit of God. That when your heart fails, when your heart is overwhelmed he can lead you to a rock that you can get a higher perspective a higher vantage point a higher view i need something that will tell my emotions to shut up And I need to see this from God's perspective. Caleb could see everything about this from God's perspective. The power of the Spirit of God in us is the gift that when our flesh and our heart feels everything in reality, yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, it is painful. Yes, that sucks. But. I find something else working on my insides. I find that there is something else happening on my inside that now I can see. I can see. I can see how God wants to use it. I can see how God wants to bless it. I can see how God wants to win it. I can see how God wants to deliver. I can see how it might be worth it. I can see how it's worth the pain. I can see how it's worth the Suffering. I can see how it's worth it. You know when I had to talk to the Lord I didn't know he was coming for me on this one but he was when I had to talk to the Lord I said well what made me I mean take such bold moves when I was young in God bold moves knowing the pain that it could cause and I did it anyway and it was painful, and I signed up for another, and another, and another. I remember speaking in th- to groups of a thousand or so, and most of them wanted to kill me, <laughs> literally, right? And I'll be like, "I'm gonna do it again. Let's do it again. And don't you come back and do it again?" I'm like, "I'm gonna do it again." And I and I would just sign up. Even though I was so nervous every day going into it, I got the diarrhea, the bubble guts, and stomach is all upset and sweating. I'm all nervous all the time. You never know what's going to happen. These people are so mean and can see it's demonically charged. And, just, and I'm like, "After it's over, Let's do it again. Because at the end of each thing that brought me so much pain and suffering, I saw so much in the victory of God that it made me forget the pain. And I didn't remember the pain, and so the night before I had to speak again. Oh, it's, oh, I forgot about this. I forgot about this. Why do I keep picking this? This is a terrible feeling. It's oh my god. It's my oh god, my, god, my god. And I'm we'll gonna do it again and again and again and again. Sunday after Sunday, now I'm doing the same thing. Why do I keep pastoring this church? Oh, this is terrible. I keep coming in in the same building. I can't stand coming in this building. to keep doing this. Why keep doing this? Then you up. You know you feel terrible. You feel terrible every day. Hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> By the time we get to the altar call. That's what I'm talking about. That's exactly why I do this. That's exactly why I do this. I know exactly why. That's why I'm talking about you, but y'all better get it, y'all better, you know? That, that, by Monday, I'm gonna do it again, I'm gonna sign up, I'm gonna do it again, I'm gonna do it again. Monday, Tuesday, I'm gonna do it, I'm about to do this again. Then come Saturday, I don't know why I keep signing up to do this. <laughs> and the closer get to Saturday, I'm like, oh, why did I sign up to do this? <laughs> My whole countenance is I'm like, oh. People are like, Pastor, coming by. You don't wanna come by, this is a terrible idea. You don't wanna see this. Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. (laughs) What's wrong with Pastor? Oh, she's going through. (laughs) This is the part she don't like. But for the joy that was set before us. For the joy that was set before him. Now we get to see it. It's about your perception. And if you're seeing by the Spirit of God, or by your soul, you have a gift That you shouldn't be grieving the Holy Spirit. But just say, show me your heart. Show me your heart. Standing all over the house. When I, as you're standing, so when the Lord started dealing with me, I said, well, who picked, when I was dealing with, who picked all these choices that led me here? Oh, it was me. I picked these things. He didn't force me. He didn't make me. When COVID hit, he didn't make me keep the doors of the church open. He didn't force me. When mommy gone, he's not making me pastor. He's not forcing me. When the bills are unpaid, he's not making me. He's not forcing me. When y'all act crazy, he's not making me. He's not forcing me. By his spirit, I see another perspective and I choose it. You're waiting on the Holy Spirit to take over you. He doesn't. You have to choose to let him lead you. I went on the spirit to overwhelm me so that I can do what he wanted me to do. No, 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 no. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have to choose to let him lead you. To lead you right to the battle. Wars are gruesome affairs. They're bloody. They're painful. The only thing good is if you win. You experience these things. You don't, you don't circumvent them. And so I said, Lord, how did how did I make all these choices that now I am struggling to make the most basic of choices? He said, You were like Caleb back in the day. Then I got offended. <laughs> back in the day, what? Yeah, back in the day, now he's telling he, tellin', he reading me my rights. Back in the day, you used to be passionate, fearless. No matter what problem could come your way, you didn't even care. You would go through the problem as long as I was with you. You told me as long as you're with me, you'd go. And you believed it. And I stayed with you. And that gave you enough fuel to keep going. And I loved it. Who did that mean? That is how I felt. So how do you feel now? Well, see, what happened was, I forgot how much I loved having you on this journey. I forgot how much joy it was in going to battle with you. I get to go to war with the great commander that never loses. I knew it at age nine, and I know it now. I go every time we go to battle, I'll be like, we about to win this. They'll be like, oh, it's insurmountable. How could you do it? Your church will never survive, you know. No one believes in you. You're a woman pastor. It will never go as planned. It's never, you don't have the heart. You're too soft. You're too mean. You're too whatever. It's not gonna work. And I go, but every battle, we've won. Every battle, we've won. Every battle we've won. Do you hear? It's you still have to battle. But I used to have so much joy in seeing the battle. I'll be like, oh, it's about to be a fight. <laughs> Ooh, it's about to be a fight. I took Minister Moni for the one of my fights, and she was like, oh my God. <laughs> She was like, Pastor, we do this kind of stuff in the spirit, but not really in, in real form. <laughs> like, this is really what heaven meets the earth. I said, exactly. You pray in the sensory prayers. This is what it really looks like when it comes on earth. This is real demons. Real demons. They're really trying to kill you. They're really trying to kill me. He was gonna punch you in the face. He really was gonna punch me in the face. And this is a demon. It really is a demon, Mr. For- <laughs> wow, she says, and I look at her as one who I know likes to fight in it glorious both of us swords drawn with blood dripping from he said you used to love to go to battle with me we would look at our enemies and we go they are no match for us and even though most people are afraid you wouldn't be afraid you would be courageous and so he said I know what happened you got hurt You got hurt in a place where it seemed like that wound was life-threatening. Anybody ever been there? It seemed like you, you, you couldn't recover. And so now you're afraid to be hurt like that again. But you can't fight on the battlefield with the Lord afraid. you will always trying to turn back. you will always trying to find a way to go back. You will look at everything with such poor perception So what say you? Is the trauma of your pain still holding you back? Are your triggers still a sufficient reason for you not to move forward? Is the memory of how someone or something didn't go your way enough for you wanted to quit? If you can say it was, but it's not anymore, the altar is yours.